Hey friends, quick reminder that we've got t-shirts available for pre-order. They got our new logo on them. They're nice. Uh, you go over to storeenvy.com and search Growing Up Christian, or you can go to growing-up-christian.storeenvy.com, which is a terrible URL, but it is what it is. Uh, it's a limited release. We're, we're only going to do the pre-order for a couple of weeks here, and we have limited quantities that we can do, but I think you're going to like these. And uh, every t-shirt you buy will chop five years off of your time in purgatory, which I feel like some of you need. So growing-up-christian.storeenvy.com or go to Store Envy and search Growing Up Christian and get yours today. Now, on with the episode. I'm a literary agent. And I got into the business in in the year 2000. Um, and so it was my job to like read manuscripts all the time and, and, and learn about like what's good. And as soon as I started working in publishing, he produced a short story, um, <laughs> which was a cuck fantasy that I'm not kidding. This is so horrible. I love it. About my mom. Like it was truly like a penthouse letters kind of, he's like, I'm thinking of sending this to Maxim. Um, I, I, he didn't have, he did not have appropriate boundaries. boundaries with you. No you, are, boundaries. you are right. I no think boundaries. Everyone like, else was like a side character in his storyline. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Hello and welcome to another episode of Grown Up Christian. I'm Casey. And I'm Sam. And we're joined by Jeremiah. What's going on, Jeremiah? Hey, everybody. How's it going? Again. You forgot to say again. Again. You're going to be a frequent guest. Frequent flyer. We have to get you a <laughs> rewards card, dude. Uh, what is What comes with the rewards card? What mm, can I cash in for? You can, you can use the front cabin bathroom. It means I got to walk by all the people, though. They're going to know, like, that guy's going to poop. Oh, especially That's if you're part of it. for a while. It's weird when people watch you walk, like, when... People watch you go into a bathroom and that same person sees you come out like 30 minutes later. You're like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah or when there's like, people waiting. Yeah. <laughs> you want to give them like, you don't want to have a conversation about it in the middle of the aisle, but you want to give them the, like the eye signals. It's like, Mm-mm, not this one. Like <laughs> we're going to be here. It's like if you go to like use a bathroom somewhere like at work or something, you're like, man, I really hope people don't recognize my shoes because they're going to realize I've been in here a lot and that's going to be an awkward thing. Well, when I make if you've worked in a large office, time. like, have you found like the bathroom that you like to use when you got big oh, business? Oh, yeah. Dude, everybody has to do that, right? There's, I only go to one and if I walk in there and it's occupied, I'm like, well, guess I'm not going right now. The, uh, I, I bil- wish I could relate to you, plebes, but I have my own bathroom in my office. Shut up. Wow. His own office. Wow. <laughs> I'm never at my office, but I do have a bathroom <laughs> when I'm there. I don't, I lost so much respect for you now. You act like you're a man of the people. You're out there with, you've probably got a golden fucking toilet too. No, no, no. I'm not a man of the people. Definitely. I'll I'll fire your dad. Yeah. (laughs) Fire me, daddy. Oh, I love that game. (laughs) 
that's that's role play night at the at the shipment house is like yeah. <laughs> you're an Arby's manager and I just came up short on my cash register. <laughs> <laughs> and pre- pretend I'm uh oh I forgot. I talked about it last week. <laughs> pretend I'm a, a a mall Merlin. Merlin of the um, mall? Ma- yeah. Merlin of the mall. <laughs> I'm Merlin of the mall, and you want to open a hat stand in my sales house. audit. I was going for sales <laughs> audit. I'm sales audit, and I call you really angry, and you have you, to be really sad and sorry. Dude, you want to open an off-brand Sabaro in my food court, and I'm going to make you work for it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's an off-brand Sabaro? Is there a, you got some other weird sub sub chains that come to mind immediately that are super dirty, Casey? What's your favorite dude, one? I've, that's like that's a marker for a mall. Like if you go to the mall food court, one how big it is is a marker, right? But if you if you look around, there's no Sabaro, but there is like a weird pizza place selling giant slices of really floppy pizza. Like that's an off-brand Sabaro and that shouldn't be there. And there's <laughs> you can also guarantee there's a place that's like you can get teriyaki chicken and pork fried rice in a combo. Yeah, well, that's the best part of the mood, yeah. the mall food court. Like, always Asian food. It's always good. It's always the same. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in the country or what mall you're in. It's like, or what name the place is. It's always like the same kind of thing. Yeah. Do we have a mex- uh, chain of like Tex-Mex places here called Carlos O'Kelly's? Make sense of that. Is yeah. it an Irish fusion <laughs> yeah. restaurant? It's definitely like Caucasian influence. Like they they have like a, a host of dipping sauces that are all like ranch derivatives. Yeah. <laughs> They'll call like gringo queso or something. I'll take the buffalo chicken empanada, please. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, fried cheesecake. <laughs> fried cheesecake. Is that for real? I, somewhere. Okay. Yeah, somewhere. Do you feel like okay? So everybody knocks the cheesecake factory as being like faux fancy, middle class white people night out food. Yeah, I kind of like the cheesecake factory. <laughs> Look, I've never been. I haven't been in a minute, and last time I went, it's fine. You know what they they have a solid chicken parm. I'll fuck with the chicken parm all day. I have only good memories of that. I wasn't a cheesecake guy last time I went to one which is weird. I mean, everyone likes cheesecake, I guess, but uh, so I can't speak to that. I believe it's probably fine as much as, I don't know. I don't know that they're making them all there. You know, they, they're they're coming from a factory somewhere shipped cold on a refrigerated truck. That's fine. But sure. Their chicken parm is probably the only thing I've actually ever had. I think I've been twice that I can recall and I got chicken parm both times. And it's not an Italian place, and I've had better chicken parm, but I'll stand Look, by it. Here's the thing. It's not good food. I mean, we know that good quality-wise. Like, I guarantee you, if you lined up six of their chicken parms, they're all the same shape. Guarantee. <laughs> but it's, it's, okay. it tastes good. <laughs> what What's the echelon, though? Because, like, ever, even with, with, chain, with chain restaurants, there is there's a hierarchy, right? So you have, like... Are, uh, you have your Ruby Tuesdays and your uh, Applebee's. Applebee's, like they're kind of on that like. Olive Garden. Bennigan's. 
Ruby Tuesdays is better. Applebee's is in a league of its own, which is just like shit. Shit fucking terrible. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Have I talked about my Applebee's experience before? No, but it sounds like you want to. I, yeah. I do now because it's I've been twice. One time I got the riblets. I know. Bad on me. Should have just read that <laughs> and been like, oh, that's a terrible fucking idea. But I've never seen anything like I, I don't know what it cost. I mean, I lived in Virginia at the time. I think their prices are pretty standard across the globe. But I was like, I paid regular entree meal for it. And you get like a dozen little like probably it's- like two inch little like ribs with this like you have to like you feel like a uh, what's in uh National it's, it's like, a, it's like a chicken nugget with a bone in it. <laughs> I wish it had as much meat as a chicken nugget. If you had seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, when they're like, after that turkey gets overdone, and they're just like nibbling <laughs> on it, trying to like get a couple pieces. That's what it was like eating these things. And then the second time I went, I, I got their mozzarella stuffed meatballs. And that shit was like microwave burnt on the outside and the inside of it was still like frosty cold mozzarella cheese like it was had that like icy bite to it it was not cooked all the way through (laughs) how do you want your meatballs cooked um hot pocket yeah it was (laughs) it's a hot pocket (laughs) so So where do you where's your hierarchy jeremiah I mean, I think definitely Applebee's, Ruby Tuesdays, Olive Garden. Those are all like as far down as you can possibly go. Like I won't eat there unless I'm desperate. And then I would put like Red Robin, Red Lobster, like some of those maybe like one tier above. Like I I could go eat there. It'd be all right. I'm not I'm not going to be super thrilled. Put out back there, right? Uh, baby. Yeah. Yeah. They're up there. I mean, like I I don't like eating at chain restaurants if I can avoid it. Like I always want to eat somewhere local if I can. But I would be less upset about an Outback than I would about definitely like if I'm ever in an Applebee's ever again and I'm hungry, like I feel like I've failed the somewhere only, in life. If you're in <laughs> Applebee's, you have to stick to just like boneless chicken wings or some shit like because you can't fuck that up. And I, I think I would do pasta. I wouldn't do anything that was ever alive. Like pasta. nothing that, that could. Yeah, their pasta is alive, dude. I don't I, <laughs> I think you're underestimating the livelihood. Well, of the, the, I just the, feel the like there's spores that live on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sam, you were talking about like, um, so do you not like cheesecake period or you don't really care about cheesecake oh, factory? Cheesecake, cheesecake is great now. I actually, okay. I, I used to not like a lot of things. Um, I, okay. Last time I went to cheesecake factory had to have been what? Like shortly. After. What? My shocked face. <laughs> oh my God. So the best cheesecake <laughs> I've ever had, and this is going to be a little bit of a journey. Um, I was at a Civil War reenactment in South Carolina. <laughs> and I love how this is starting out. Because it was in South Carolina, it was a War of Northern Aggression reenactment in South Carolina. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's I'm a tracking with you. Yeah, I was there to film something. Like, we were filming B-roll for something and, like, not not officially through the organization or anything. We just, we were like, hey, can we come and film some, like, B-roll of people setting off cannons? And they were like, yeah. And if you've never been around people setting off cannons in the middle of the woods, it's actually really cool. The whole ground shakes. It's terrifying. It's awesome. A lot of these dudes do not look like they were in the Civil War. Like they are maybe the size of two or three people who are in the Civil War. <laughs> There's definitely some, but they're out there for the whole like weekend camping and stuff, wearing their uh, you know their finest battle dress uniform. It's about an 80-20 um, Southerners-Northerners split in the people who have showed up. 
but everybody's cool. Everybody's getting along. I got to see one of the first submarines, which did you know the Confederacy had submarines in the Civil War? Yeah. What was the name of I the, did big, not. the one that they had that was like famous? And I'm not talking about like the 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 big ironclad ships. I mean like the little cigar tube looking things. Oh, no. No, they sounds had, I, horrifying. <laughs> it, it is. Imagine imagine a tube. We're gonna get to the cheesecake, I promise. But imagine a tube about four feet in diameter, and you and eight of your buddies sit in there and you turn a screw by hand. Oh fuck and, that. And there's a pole coming out the front with an explosive on it, and you're just trying to go towards a ship and hit it and you're just sitting there turning the screw that's and like one step up from like having flippers on it just like dropping a a looney tune style black circle with a fuse coming out the well, this is in the 1800s like this is this is back when technology and science has gotten as far enough that like if you get a bad enough cut the doctor like just gets a saw out and they're like sorry it's not gonna make it but uh, but the guy was really angrily explaining to us how the Confederacy should have gotten the credit for the first submarine sinking of a ship. They could never prove it sunk the ship because as soon as the explosive went off, it knocked, out every, it knocked out everyone everybody in the died. Sun, and they sunk to the bottom of the bed. It's like if, if the pilot of the submarine dies... In the process, that's not a submarine. That's a torpedo. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's a, a kamikaze mission. That's yeah, called your first slow... act of U.S. terror. That's your first <laughs> act of domestic terror in the United States. The Confederates is Oh, oh my god. god. Alright, so amazing. how the cheesecake factors into this <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Casey. So, <laughs> there's a food truck there, okay? There's a food truck, and I mentioned these are big boys. These are big corn fed boys. <laughs> this, is, this has become a war of American progression. That's what this is. <laughs> So when they're out there, they've had a long, hard day of like parading around and shooting their rifles, like shooting blanks into the air out of their muskets. They're ready to get something to eat. Well, if you've ever been to like a Ren fair and seen like the food trucks that are there, you know, where you're going to get your, your pretzels and, you know, stuff that's like an Americanized food truck version <laughs> of food that might have been in Europe at some point or whatever. Just you imagine know, the food trucks rations. that are at. <laughs> right. <laughs> imagine the food trucks. That are at a Civil War reenactment in South Carolina. So there was this one, they just had lots of like desserts. And one of their desserts was a deep fried chocolate dipped cheesecake slice on a stick. Oh, okay. So, so there's that fried it, cheesecake, Casey. You take it, you fry it, and then you dip the whole thing in chocolate. And I bought one. And my first bite, my mouth stopped moving when it shut. And I had tears <laughs> in my eyes. Because the explosion of flavor from all like it was the it was one of the best taking tasting things I've ever had. Like I had it's to like sit a scene down, from could, an anime. Yeah, I could only eat half of it. Like background whooshes behind you and the single <laughs> tear goes down. You're like, oh. it, it was one of the most transcendent cheesecake experiences I've ever had. I look, I, I feel like I need to try it. I don't know that I can find anything close to that around here. I think the biggest problem is our Civil War reenactments probably aren't quite like yours. <laughs> But <laughs> if it's like different, there's let's just let's well, the say ones that. the ones we have around here aren't quite the same either because uh, I live pretty near where the Civil War ended, so all of our like 
all of our museums and stuff are all based around like the North and South coming together. Uh, in South Carolina, it was definitely like a, you wait, you wait. <laughs> <laughs> like that was, it's not over. The whole it's still not over. No, they were, they were, they weren't kidding either. There were some angry looking old dudes who were like probably angry because they've been coming doing these reenactments for 50 years. And their grandpa, who was probably the son of someone who fought in the civil wars, just filled their head with ignorance and hate their whole life. But sitting there like patiently explaining um, like mid 1800s economics to me, like somehow that the North would have been totally destitute without the South. And you don't understand. It was all about controlling the harbors. And I'm like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Did the uh-huh. gold standard come up in this conversation too? <laughs> it didn't, but this is definitely one of those conversations where I'm like, I am not going to engage in any way that looks like I have an opinion. Yeah. This is not going anywhere productive. You're like, if I, oh, if I disagree, like, you said I'm going to be man. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, if, it's like, if I disagree, I'm going to be here for a really long time, but I don't want to agree because that feels morally irresponsible. So I, well, you try to play that middle ground. Yeah, Dude, Sam, I know okay. you're a yank. Yeah. When, when the, uh, um, what is it? Let's go branding coin. Mm-hmm. When that tanks, which, you know, that's got like a four in. week shelf life. Yeah. Let me check. Right? How it's I'm doing still waiting for that podcast. to hit like 10 cents. Fuck. I just spent, I put so much money into that. Did you? <laughs> I have, I mean, I have at least $5,000 riding on let's go branding coin. That's an investment. Ooh, it's, it's dipped since last week. Mm. Sorry boys. Uh-oh. Don't tell me that. It is, let's see. Uh, in That's the how past, I was going to pay for school. In the past seven days, it has, it started It started at, just assume there's a lot of zeros and the number of zeros doesn't change. It's like six or seven zeros. I'm not going to count them. And it ended at a five. And then it climbed up to as high as a bunch of zeros, six, three. And now we are back to the five. So it's basically, it's where it was at early January. Right. So I, I'm not, net, net, I'm not a negative yet. I'm, I'm holding strong. I think... <laughs> It's way lower. It's like, I'm zooming it's out. Well, it's as Trump's electoral vote count on election day. <laughs> <laughs> but, dude, people need a scam, right? We keep talking about that. Uh, this one is kind of petering out. I feel like it just didn't have the steam that it needed. What if we started our own crypto that was like Jefferson Davis bucks? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we could get some backing on that, like enough to uh, pull a bunch of money out of, you know, uh, destitute white people's pockets and then <laughs> close up shop. Heritage people not who, uh, gambling hasn't worked out great for them. They're like, that's their new get rich quick. They're like, look, my mortgage is riding on this baby. I believe. Listen, baby, listen, I put all of our money. I put all of our money into this coin. And I think it's going to really take off. And then, you know, of course you'll probably hear on the news about a murder suicide later on. It's really bad. Are you ready to be, res- are you ready for that Casey? Are you ready to, to have that on your conscience? I did, like, uh, I mean, I feel like we've talked about, it. I am unmoored from any moral standard standards. So I'm the right person to take the blur up for this. Cause I mean, I'll sleep fine. Okay. I, I- I don't think you could call it Trump bucks because I think that that like there's too much name connotation. Trump in some butts. of his fault. call it Trump butts. Mm, that's true. How about uh, Davy dollars? Davy dollars. I was thinking something hey, more Davey generic, dollars. like Patriot bucks or something. Something that like convinces them that is a new type of currency because that's the angle you got to take. It's not like this is a crypto, but for real patriots, it's got to be like this is secret money that they can't use. Only nine eleven never forget coin. <laughs> I think Christ coins, God coins, God bucks. 
they might think that's heresy. Well, no, no, nah, they'll probably go with it. I don't know. We're just going to have to shop a few and see which URL we can buy. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. What's cheap? <laughs> Let me check out GoDaddy real quick. Let's see what's available on GoDaddy right now. They, uh, J- uh, Jeremiah's already got our like our bio written. You kind of recited it. What last week is like a robust team and oh yeah you got to have an exciting roadmap uh, you need to have uh, the founders have burned their access to their wallets so they can't uh, they can't change it I forget what term that's called the community is super engaged and uh, everyone's very excited and the community the, runs know, we on created luck. thirty billion Davy dollars in the <laughs> in the inception and we gave fifteen billion of them straight to Milo Yiannopoulos and he has not responded to our messages <laughs> but he has many- cashed out on all of our coins so I'm not sure what that means <laughs> I heard he's running a straight up like uh, conversion therapy camp now yeah Shut he up. swung he's, he, he really? swung back hard from one ditch to another I think the first grift ran out when it turns out like uh, the LGBT QIA community didn't embrace him for reasons that really confuse everybody. Uh, and then he swung <laughs> back into the other ditch of like, I, I guess he's saying he's straight now. And yeah, yeah, he's doing like, I'm sure it's not conversion theory therapy. I'm sure it's like conversion consulting or something. Oh yeah. I'm so sure it's like get, the, it. get angry parents to write a check and then spend it. Yeah. That's the yeah, business he went plan full for blown. that. I, I got saved from my gayness. He, he did the whole move. So it's a weird play. I mean, I feel like there was a lot of angles he could have taken. And he's obviously, obviously a con artist. So, yeah, I grasping, mean, I just, it's not now. where I would have gone with things, you know? Where would you have gone? <laughs> what would your move have been <laughs> oh, if you were Milo? Because I like, would come out with, uh, okay, how about like the first gay Republican-owned body armor company? Oh, okay. yeah. It's oh, not a bad good. move. Introduce your first like steam powered truck. Like you have to shovel coal into this truck to get it to run. And it's it's like counteracting Tesla. And you have like a little ticker on the website. It's like we've how many trees the the green offset of 15 Teslas right now with one, you know, Davy dump truck. I don't know. Like yeah. instead of like the little green leaf gauge that some hybrids have and stuff, it's just going to be like a smokestack that just gets more and more impressive. <laughs> like it still yeah, does I, have a diesel power plant in it just for rolling coal because you can't like if steam's too too pure, you need something that like can get in people's faces so they can't see. Dude, it needs like a fracking counter. You know, it needs a counter for something <laughs> that has to do with demolishing the planet. Like either how many trees you've uh, burnt down or how many times you've fracked the earth, something like that. You just need that thing to just keep going up. He see, I think what he, I think he overestimated how much conservatives don't like gay people still needed like, him. They, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they look, they're they're more than happy to look past that now. They actually are probably just excited that there's some gay people on their side. So right, they I, they need the token. They need the token yeah. gay person. So I think he like, did himself a disservice. You have a place here, yeah. He should have been like, look, I'm as gay as I've ever been, but I'm still here. And they'd be like, look, we got your back. And now he's like, not gay anymore. Like, well, you fucked that one up, dude, because we have no fucking gay people on our side. So <laughs> we don't need you anymore. In fact, we didn't want to tell you this, but we don't we don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't like you anyway. We only accepted you because you were gay. That's the first time any of us have ever said that. <laughs> we, yeah. we didn't we abandoned our fucking children, but we had your back, Milo. 
And you didn't turned you on take us. the hint like when we didn't invite you to the CPAC after party at Applebee's? Yeah, <laughs> these guys. That's awful. I, honestly, I think we should probably start a GoFundMe for him because he's probably in rough shape. I would talk to Milo. I, I just want to get hear him on. It straight. It's just so entertaining, you know. It's it's a. Uh, it's like talking to Charlie Sheen when he was like full tiger blood. Yeah, that's the good. I, I'm going to I'm going to pivot here because speaking of Charlie Sheen and Milo and just very entertaining people, I'm going to throw uh, John Cooper in the mix with these very entertaining people. Yes. And our, our dream. Our, our dream <laughs> we have to pivot yeah. <laughs> because Jeremiah did us the huge favor of listening to the new Skillet album uh, just so he could talk about it It'd give us a live review or i guess we're not live it's yeah. live right now shut up so i was i was really excited because the new under oath album voyeurist came out and then i listened to it and most of it honestly sounds like b-sides for erase me mm-hmm. um there's some okay songs in there but it just it feels pretty disjointed i i love that the guys are still out there making music like i'm always going to be excited to see new under oath stuff that album didn't really hit it for me so then yeah, i'm looking around what else came out yeah what else released this week and lo and behold uh I keep having to look up the name Dominion by Skillet Dominion release. Now, if you go look in Spotify, you're going to get confused by the cover because you're going to think you've seen them put out this cover before. They haven't, (laughs) (laughs) but it might have been from the same photo shoot. It's very possible. Um, Dominion is a great pop album that they are pretending is being recorded by like a quasi metal hard rock band. Um, I read some interviews with them for this album where he talks about like really all he listens to metal it to his metal. Uh, and he didn't mention any specific artists, which I find very interesting because I'm not getting metal vibes off this. Like this is a legitimately a catchy pop album and every single song you can tell there's the point where they're like, and this is the point where the pyro is going to start at winter jam. Like yeah. <laughs> this is the point where we're like, somebody gets to jump off the drum kit and the youth group leader is going to be like, Oh, praise Jesus. Like this is really hitting. Like every single song sounds like it was designed to be uh, like sung by middle schoolers. There is no depth in this entire album. This album has absolutely nothing to say. It's like a remake of Comatose for like the fourth time. And the songs are very, very catchy. Like I don't want anything I'm saying to sound like the songs aren't catchy. There's some bangers on here, but they are the most like if you're 14 and you think you might want to listen to metal and then you discover skillet, you're probably going to think this is pretty heavy. And if you're a grown up who doesn't want to take your kids to a real rock show and you get stuck going to something like winter jam, you're going to get really excited because you're going to see like the tattoos and the like dyed black beard. It's definitely dyed. No one's beard is that consistent. No. Uh, and you're going to be like, Oh man, this has got enough edge. Oh yeah. I found a new gray hair just poking out the other day. They're they're everywhere, but like, Casey, do you, it's do hard you guys to tell know, for him. Do they but... write their own songs? I th- mm, that's a good question. I, yeah, I'm gonna go know. ahead with yes I mean, because I, they're I not always good. assumed so. I I always uh I always assumed that like bands and stuff outside of like mainstream pop wrote their own stuff. But uh I was listening to an interview with Courtney LaPlante from Spirit Box, who's mm-hmm. the best. And she was saying that she kind of dropped a bomb in the interview. She's like, yeah, uh, you know, one thing that metal fans might be surprised to know is that a lot of their favorite songs were not written by the band that they think they were like. They bring in, you know, hitters to do to track some of these songs, like some of them, they the band members don't actually play the parts on the album. Some of them are just like they had 
eight songs and they needed 10 for the album. And so they brought in this guy that writes generic metalcore songs and boom, you got two extra songs. So I don't know. I'll, my whole world is turned upside down. Thanks to you, Courtney. <laughs> I mean, well, even when we, I feel it, like honestly, I, I sounds like they brought in. On, oh, I don't know if it came up. We were on the uh, conversation with Aaron, but I just, I've heard enough conversation, Aaron Sprinkle, uh, but I've heard enough conversations and listened to enough podcasts about bands getting to the studio. Like, cause what happens with a lot of bands is like, Oh, they write their first album for sure. And then they get into a studio and then that studio might try to clean it up a bit and you'll have some that are okay with that. And some who are reluctant, but it's, and then you put out your first album and that, that band might've worked really, really hard on it, spent a few years on it, whatever. And then, now they're contracted into that second album and they're just like booked three months in a studio to sit there and write it in real time. And it changes a little bit once you're doing things industry style like that, as opposed to like that, that first album you write that comes out swinging. That's why, that, that's why I guess that's why they're talking about like, sophomore slump, right? It's like they had a, they had a hit album and now the record label's like, okay, we, we are actually going to spend money to promote this one. We can't trust you with that responsibility. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I can see, I can see them only writing exclusively in a studio. I feel like, like I could, they all just walk into a studio. There's probably only two of them who write all the music. And then they're just like, all right, we bust out this song, probably writes the lyrics in there comes up with it pretty quickly. Like, like you're saying they're pretty shallow. I feel like their lyrics and their musicianship is fairly repetitive in some oh, ways. Incredibly like, repetitive. They, so like, they, oh, what are you coming up yeah. with? You're, I, I mean, if you're coming from a Christian perspective and you're writing Christian lyrics, we've, we all know it's like, it's basically, it's like we've no worship music and you're putting that to like, just rock. I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm sure. I feel like it's, very plausible they're just writing their own music and they what, what did you what did together. you pick up from it jeremiah uh i picked up that sometimes uh life is hard and you can have dark <laughs> days but you're gonna pull through it and stand as a victor and you could be standing on the battlefield or in the desert or in a mountain it's very situation dependent but you can be standing there and i believe um you're supposed to shout your freedom that's the title of one of them shout um, your freedom Sean, they, Fugue, all the names are terrible. One. They're they're all terrible. Uh, surviving the game, standing in the storm, Dominion, Valley of Death, Beyond Incredible, Destiny, Refuge, Shout Your Freedom, Destroyer, Forever at the End, Ignite, and the last one's called White Horse. White oh. Horse, White, and, and White Horse very... is, is is great. It yeah. sounds like they're trying to rip off what's that? Uh, falling in Reverse. It sounds like they're trying to rip off Falling in Reverse. But talking oh, about man. Jesus coming down, riding on the white horse, but like yeah. he's doing like the weird rap, rap singing thing, like spoken word. And he definitely sounds like a 50 year old man when he's doing it. And the production value is not very good. And poor Jen Ledger, who, as far as I understand, is a great drummer. So I'm not trying to take anything away. Like musician wise, they don't have a whole lot going on in that band. They used to be experimental, but it's like been the same thing for 18 years. And uh, but Jen Ledger is a is a good drummer and but all she gets to do is sing back the line that John just sang like or just sing an accent word on the end of it and then play the same drum beat for the entire record like there's there's nothing going on but it's so catchy. <laughs> do you did you guys listen to All That Remains back in the day? Oh yeah, yeah. That's the what was their very um, repetitive. What was their big hit album? Um, this calling, the one that has this calling. They, on yeah, it? 
So I was talking and to a friend about. I feel this calling. Yeah, I used to blow up my speakers yeah. to that one. I mean, that song, that, that whole album has some complete bangers. I mean, that's I I listened to it again recently and was like, it's it's. I think it I think it's still great. Uh, but my friend who I was talking to, he doesn't necessarily agree. He feels like it's basically kill switch engage. Um, this is uh, this is I'll, what I'll, I don't like about metal dudes, though. This is <laughs> this is what's annoying. And and I I'm used trying, to be I'm one. trying to connect. I the did story. this. Go ahead. OK, go ahead. And then I'll complain because I'm going to forget. So I'm going to connect this <laughs> and then you're going to connect and then, the you're dumps, gonna and then I'll take a dump on it. OK, perfect. So <laughs> talking about that album, he says, I, I it kind of was hard for me to listen to it again after one of our friends said he, he called it war vet metal. And that just made sense. And that's what I think of when I think of um, Cutlass. That's it's rude. like, <laughs> I know, <laughs> but there's like this, like we'll use this for a promo for a uh, to, like goarmy.com commercial or something like it's, that. It's state fair. What What does Finn McKenty call it? Punk rock you, you could NBA. Also call it uh, it could be UFC metal or MMA metal. Like it's all like that I, same type. Of- you say that like Skillet has been licensed. Like their music has been licensed for the WWE and I think UFC and the oh. NFL. And like okay. they use their music for all of those things legitimately. It's got a lot of things about like being a warrior and whatnot. Yeah, you know? and, standing, and standing in the storm yeah. <laughs> of people saying I don't like that it- you're such a douche about things. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not shitting on it completely because Killswitch found that audience too. Killswitch has a broad audience. Uh, there's a lot of like, that kind of, they bring a lot of the bros and the tough guys. And, and so I'm, I'm fine with that because Killswitch is, uh, of course, we all love Killswitch. So I, there's great bands that attract those audiences. Uh, they probably got played on your hard rock station at some point because they were able to bridge a gap, but. Either way, I feel that's what I think of when I think it's like okay, people who like to wear tap out shirts also probably might like. Oh, is there a Christian tap out? It's it's State Fair butt rock. Yeah, that's that's, that's what it is. That's all. Like coming to the Kansas State Fairgrounds, skillet and Power Man Five Thousand. Yeah, they're on well, every tour. Did you know that skillet fans there they have a name for their diehard fans? At least a couple <laughs> reviews reference it, so I can't verify this. this. I can't wait. panheads. What? <laughs> Skillet. No. It sounds like it's racist. I don't. I it does. It's... It does sound like it might be a little bit. Now, so I just read that in a couple different reviews. When I read it the second time. I was like, "Oh, is this actually a thing?" Like, I assumed the author was just making a joke. But isn't it? It's great though that like middle schoolers can go to a concert and they can see people with tattoos, with dyed dyed black hair. It's not that color anymore. Um, you know, wearing black clothes and they can be like, oh man, that can be, be me one day playing worship music and they can feel like they belong. You know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Like there's a place for this stuff. It's just, I think you age out of some music, like some music you don't, I don't think it's a particular style, <laughs> you know, it's not that like you can't enjoy hard rock or radio rock or metal or whatever else, you know, trap music, whatever. I think it's just, it's it's more the lyrics that make it cringy. I think there's like something to be said for writing catchy songs. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a typical metal guy thing to not like. Like if too many people like a band, like a metal band, then diet in the wool metal guys 
automatically hate that band. You know, it's like when we were in school and everybody was like, oh, you know, uh, Azalea Dying's a, dark, a hot topic band. That's for that's for tweens at the mall to uh, to say that they like. Yep. I, I don't hate that bands write catchy songs, you know, but uh, the lyrics make it hard for me to stick with things metal's great because i don't have to care about the lyrics like i don't know what they <laughs> are i never look at them yeah and like usually when i start looking at lyrics that's when i start falling out of love with an album or a band because uh, a lot of lyrics are terrible you know a, or yeah. think, a corny yeah, yeah i think how lucky you are if you're a guy who's got like a bunch of guys who are friends who are all amazing musicians and they want to start a, like a metal band and you can kind of sing like your job is so easy. You've got it made. Like as long as they can write. <laughs> Sorry, Casey, this is not that's, meant to be. That's why I was in abandoned high school. I couldn't do but, shit. I didn't write any of it. So it's all good. Okay, okay cool. Yeah. <laughs> but like, just think like that guy at the top. That's like, yeah, I just, I learned how to scream in any way. So, you know, we have 18 minute long songs that like, you know, have 18,000 notes in them. And I've got, a, I've got, I had to do work. I I busted out my part of the song like in an evening while the guys were like doing mastery or something. I was like, let me just write some lyrics that no one's ever going to pay attention to. I learned to, uh, to scream and, and sing to skillet. Nice. I spent a lot of time with skillet. So I, I really liked their first couple albums, invincible and alien youth. Really? They were abnormal for contemporary Christian music back in. Like it's easy to dump on them now, but Skillet really did have a big place in my heart at one point. And I have listened to their earlier albums so many times. And I think that's back when they were younger. They're like close to the age we are now. And they actually did have stuff to say versus now where they're just like riding the youth group circuit till the wheels come off. Definitely till the wheels or till his Cause, beard. Cause they gray. stayed true because they stayed true. Unlike everyone else who fell just away. Like oh, very bored a- of this. You're a warrior be a warrior for Christ stand tall and stand strong. And like, well, I don't know, just this whole Never idea change your mind. Like, think the same your entire life. If someone tries to change you, it's of the devil. It's it gets, it's so plain. Yeah. Like not smoking when someone offers you a cigarette is like going to Iraq. <laughs> or that's what a lot know, of it translates to. Or if you have to wear a mask. Um, so John Cooper was, <laughs> interviewed by billboard magazine for this uh right talking about the song valley of death he says that was the easiest and fastest song maybe i've ever written it's just an honest song about the fact that when you're going through the valley you can't see what's around you because there's hills and there's mountains you can't see the way to, way to go it's a valley it's what's a really, hole in the ground <laughs> what's really hard about the time we're now is that none of us know if there's a light at the end of the tunnel when's the pandemic going to end are we ever going to get to live life without masks again all those things are really depressing. He just named really one thing. Uh, and it causes you to take inventory of your life. Have you lived the way you want to live? What are people going to remember about you? None of us are promised tomorrow, but in the end, I know that I'm not alone. There, that is the hope and the light. It's so rehearsed. Did it, what did he just say? That, Literally that's nothing. basically the content of every single one of those songs. And the only thing he actually got specific about was, can I not wear a mask? When, when am I going to get to not wear a mask? <laughs> The dog yeah, it's got to put that out there. It's like he because he, you know what he didn't say? He didn't say he was anti-mask. He just so, said he just thinks it ought to be a choice. Most of the things that these people get mad about, like, I don't know, they, like conservative Christian crap, like the vast majority of the things that they get really mad and animated about 
are such first world problems. Like yeah. they, they'll make fun of every, you know, whatever millennial liberals or whatever, like, Oh, he sends back his avocado toast because it's, you know, whatever, not grilled to perfection or whatever. Everything that they get upset about is it's such a first world problem where it's like, man, if, if, if we had to hunt for food, no one would care about that. Nobody would ever even discuss this. It's, it's such an, it's, it's a minor inconvenience. Why are you pretending? Cause it's like, not about that. Cause it's not about that. It's about the culture war. It's another bullet fired in the culture war that they have to believe in or they can't possibly function because so much of their worldview relies around along thinking you're in the middle of a spiritual war that has been going on for millennia and somehow America is at the center point of it and people like you have to keep the train on the tracks because if it ever gets off, God's will won't be done. Like when those are the stakes- yeah, one hundred percent exactly the answer to the question. I just because that because there's no way to get him mad about it otherwise. Because any objective, rational person would be able to look at it and go like, "Oh, this is not persecution. Like this actually yeah. well, has nothing to do with me." The irony is they spent the past like six to ten years calling everyone who got upset about something liberal snowflakes and like, "Hey, could you just put a mask on to come into our store?" And like, that's it. We're throwing down. Right here, shirt in off. I'm ready. I'm ready for to fight everyone. This Whole Foods. Yeah, it's just <laughs> a it, business shouldn't have to bake a cake for two gay dudes. Okay, uh, but don't tell me to put on a mask. Yeah, I can't. It's it's a lot to unpack. I guess, and we probably should uh, wrap this uh, this here intro up now that we're rolling up on uh, a good bit of time here. And so I'll just go ahead and I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna do it right now. You guys. Do you have any last words? Any last words about the culture war? A Dominion uh, by Skillet is out now. You can get it on Spotify. Uh, check it out. If I am lying that there aren't a bunch of catchy bangers on that album, you hit me up in the Discord. I'm Jay in the Discord, and I will fight you on it because that album is a masterpiece. Well, Thank that's you. your second I- fight. You have your second fight coming up because uh, I need to go fight you- about a race me, right? Yeah. 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 I just want to say, hey, can I say stand strong people mm-hmm. hey amen you may feel like you're in the midst of a storm but uh you know the sun shines the brightest after it's uh stops the darkest hailing. the dawn yeah oh yeah amen. so don't don't wash your hands don't let anybody tell you to wash your hands you put those fingers in your mouth put them in your mouth right now just like the new and- testament church did and make sure you put those yes put, put those masks over your neck beard so nobody has to see them stand strong all right. All right. Our, our <laughs> guest coming up is Erin uh, Hosier. Hosier. I said her name wrong. So feel free to edit it or don't. Uh, she is the author of a memoir called Don't Let Me Down. And that memoir also kicked off what became a podcast that her and her host, her co host do called um, Tell Me About Your Father, where they interview people about their relationships with their father. Her book is all about that. She gets into it her story a good bit about her complicated relationship with her dad and why it led to a memoir and then a podcast. I'm sorry. I don't know <laughs> what's going on. about so... the guy driving the submarine. I can't... <laughs> no, driving I, like this. I'm like, did I say that's, that's the face you make when I say something wrong. No, you're, you're sitting there laughing your tits off sorry. in the corner. I can't I know, I'm like, this is going to be distracting. <laughs> 
I was like, I either got her name wrong, I said the podcast wrong, I got her book wrong. It wouldn't be the first time my intro to a guest turned to shit. <laughs> no, 100% right. Aaron Hosier, a very interesting person with a fascinating story, had some crazy turns in there. Um, don't let just anybody babysit your kid, especially if they say they're going to fix them in a weekend. Uh, that's the lesson that we expect to take advice. away from a portion of this episode. So, yeah, enjoy our conversation with Aaron Hosier. Holy shit, everyone, it's 2022. And what better way to bring in the new year than with Captain Cecil's Coffee? New year, new coffees. With flavors like Atlantic and Daymark, there is a host of single-source blends one that is surely going to fit your palate and make your morning a lot better. Captain Cecil's proudly donates 10% of all sales to various lighthouse preservation organizations across New England. Going into the holiday season, he offered us a very generous promo code of 20%, but because Captain Cecil's loves us and the growing up Christian community so much, He's decided to extend that 20% to our listeners going into the new year. So go to CaptainCecilsCoffee.com and remember to enter the promo code GROWINGUPCHRISTIAN at checkout for 20% off your order. And of course, all orders over $50 get free shipping. That's CaptainCecilsCoffee.com. Enter promo code GROWINGUPCHRISTIAN. Hey everyone, we're back with our guest, Aaron Hosier. Aaron, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Oh, it's so great to be here. Yeah, th- I, I'm super excited to get into your story because uh, I recently got to know you, your podcast through our mutual friend, Christian Nightmares. Ugh. And isn't he great? I just yeah. met him doing our podcast interview. What a sweet, gentle soul. Yeah, he is wonderful. Very much so. He's right? been popping up on a lot of people. Like, I feel like he's been popping up more lately. Like he's actually getting like he was i mean he's still anonymous but he's uh been getting himself out there more and it's nice to for people to get to know the guy behind the profile totally but yeah so getting turned on to your podcast through that i thought the concept was so interesting for our listeners uh it's um uh tell me about sorry about that tell me about your father that's right tell me about your father it's uh it's funny because you hear tell me about your father, kind of like growing up Christian, right? It's like, oh, that's a niche that you have to stick to. Uh, and Yeah, yeah. What's well, the experience been like with that? I'm sure you haven't run out of father stories yet. It's true. So um, the podcast Tell Me About Your Father um, was born of my memoir that's called Don't Let Me Down that came out um, with Simon & Schuster in 2019. Um, it's a memoir of primar- primarily my relationship with my super complicated um, rock and roll loving yet uh, evangelical Christian for a while, yet secret drug user, yet, you know, very um, a complex an relationship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and coming coming of age in rural Ohio in that set of circumstances, and then moving to New York City, um, you know, after college. And as soon as I got there, you know, starting my life in my 20s, um, my dad just, he had a 
heart attack and died really suddenly at age 54. So the second half of my book is dealing with that grief and unpacking, you know, those daddy issues that that come with having a very complicated uh, childhood and, you know, sort of also reckoning with big questions of of God and love and yeah, um, definitely. Were you the male cl- female dynamic? <laughs> <laughs> Were you close? Did you feel close to him? Does, I mean, I, it sounds like there's a lot of complications, so I don't know what close meant. What, what was your? I, I guess yes. we can build that a little bit more because I want to get into your upbringing too. But um, you, right. Did, well, let me tell close? you about. Um, well, so tell me about your father. The podcast is is really like conversations with people about their fathers, really interesting stories. Um, We just featured someone or two sisters whose um, father absconded with the family fortune and was kind of like a grifter and a con artist when we were in our 20s. And that was just some friends of mine that I had. Um, And so I when I was promoting the book, I did this big reading where other people told their complicated stories about their dads. Um, and so that's really what it came down to. Like my uh, friends, Elizabeth Thompson and Matthew Philp, um, we, we've all lost our dads, um, you know, at various times over the course of our lives. And so it's really just like seeing through others, um, you know, what we have in common and why don't people talk about fathers more? It seems like all of that pressure is put on mothers. And for me, that really started with the church and the way that I was raised. Did your your friend's dad, did he pop up ever again at some point or did he just vanish into the ether? He vanished um, into China But then he recently, and that was like um, in 2003, and it was one of those things where like he only reached out to one of the daughters, never his wife or his other daughter. Wow. Whoa. And then she ends up finding him on LinkedIn a couple of years ago. (laughs) Of all the places. The worst place to find your dad. (laughs) That's what I said. I was like, how cringe. Um, LinkedIn is everyone's worst face. It's they my think wife. they're they think they're doing something promoting themselves, and that it's like their professional version and stuff. But it, it's my least favorite version of everyone I know. <laughs> exactly, I really I, did it wrong. I forgot how to log into. I made one years ago. Same. And forgot how to log into it, but I still get emails all the time. It's like so and so checked out your LinkedIn profile. I'm like, I am never going to open this thing again as long as I live. Exactly. LinkedIn or Backpage? LinkedIn. I don't even know what Backpage is. <laughs> this is a seedy Craigslist for yeah. uh, <laughs> prostitution and hookups and whatnot. That's oh, right. So you were you're uh so that was you were more of that than LinkedIn then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was pretty pretty broke up about it. I had to find your outlet when you're at Liberty somehow. Oh, you went to Liberty. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good yeah. times. Both of us. Yeah, that was a doozy. Uh, yeah. so what was the evangelical world you grew up in? There's uh, okay. plenty of variants. So. so many variants. So I was born in 74 and um, my parents got married in 72. My mom was really young 
you know, when they met like 20, didn't have a chance to go to college or really um, get much life experience before she started dating my dad. And he was the first guy who asked to marry her. Um, And my dad was sort of the colorful extrovert, hippie, um, went to Ohio State, was just starting to get into advertising. So I like to compare him in my own mind to like a Don Draper of Cleveland. (laughs) And I was like that Sally Draper character because I, um, I, I think I must have been born a writer because I just have always had that very analytical questioning mind. So I vividly remember being a little kid and Christianity was was the language that we were speaking by then. When my parents got married, it was a very like they were still partying. They were still young. Um my mom was very uncomfortable and I think really depressed being like a stay at home wife with no job while her husband went off to the city all day. Then I came along and she was extra alone, you know, with a kid. And so by the time I was probably a tot, well, definitely a toddler or, a, or an infant, she, um, to fill up that hole in her life, like answered like a classified ad for like a women's crafting group. Okay. And, <laughs> and so she went for the community and it turned out to be what became her first Bible study, you know, fellowship. Um, wow. That was an was incognito. Uh, yeah, was that's like one of those coffee house moves. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. It was like, it was crafting, it was like stitchery, and women would, would sit around in a circle and talk about their, their, their terrible marriages, I think, or their loneliness and depression, or what we would, you know, <laughs> call, refer to as... Yeah, recognize it as that now. Yeah, we would recognize it as that now. It was really a support group for these women who... Um, many of them had, uh, yeah, just just very bad marriages. <laughs> um, and one of the the women who led the group was really um, uh, she took control and she was like, "I know this church. You're gonna love it. Just come sometime. They're really into the arts." Um, and in fact, it was a kind of new. Like now the church that still exists, but in a different form, um, is has now become like a super church or just like oh, yeah. many buildings where, and, and like a name brand pastor who, oh, yeah. there was a scandal that he plagiarized some sermons, so they had to let him go. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a all thing. sermons are? Sermons are basically plagiarism that's okay, isn't it? I guess so. I thought so. I thought it was all plagiarized. But um, but back then, it was kind of like, we take all kinds. Um, it seemed small, probably like a, a hundred or so at, at first. And so my mom would go and 
And then my dad would go, I think, because, you know, he probably wanted to have a happier marriage. And he picked up really quick because it, as you know, um, the whole, all of the literature, all of the, uh, the messaging that, that my mom and dad were getting was that, um, you know, husbands are the number one, you know, first there's God, then there's husband, then children in terms of your priorities. And that really worked for him. Yeah, and, shocking. I wonder, and, I wonder why this model has sustained itself yeah, for so it's, long. It's not a bad system for us. It's it helps incredible. when they're financially dependent on their husbands too, doesn't it? <laughs> totally financially dependent, right? Like the, you know, she had the allowance. Um, and so uh, unfortunately, so this church was, was, was making them feel um, cool because they could, they could bring in like a theater troupe. Um, and there was some interpretive dance in the beginning. There was, so it went a little bit beyond um, the traditional. And so he, okay, so there was, there was all of this churchy literature. And, but then there was like the Stephen King books and all my dad's like, you know, secular, his, his, his record collection. And he was obsessed with the Beatles. So I was obsessed with the Beatles, even as a little kid. So I was able to absorb, you know, the secular rock and roll world. And, but also, you know, the Christian messaging. Was that his first, was that like your parents' first experience in church? Or they'd go, did they have a, like participate in it when they were kids and then just kind of like, fizzle out of it and then find that's it a great question my dad no my mom apparently like grew up going to church and had very like churchy my grandparents were you know believers but then they sort of fell out and didn't have like a regular church until my mom got saved born again which they hadn't been before um and got her her family um got her two brothers all adults at this point and her parents and by the time my grandfather died of alzheimer's like 20 years ago he was only speaking to her in like bible that's oh no you know, I, like just one of those. I want to meet someone like my age who never went to church or grew up in it that found themselves like just going all the time and have a conversation. Because I don't, that happened all the time to like, I, know. I mean, that's my parents kind of just, I mean, they went to, like, they were Catholic, but you know, most Protestant, yeah. most Protestant boomers were Catholic when they were kids, it seems. Right. Um, and then, so like to have that, to just fizzle out and then in your like 20s, late 20s be like this actually seems like a really good thing for us it's so interesting because you you know i don't really see a lot of that anymore i don't so i don't know no i know i i think part of it i'm sure a lot of it was this is pre-cable television in terms of like access that i had um pre-internet by far uh just you can lose yourself in a community 
And that was the community at the time. My dad had, I'm sure, a whole other life outside because he had a career and it was a sexy career in advertising. Um, and so she got to be like the, the pretty wife. And then as they got more and more into the church and as we got older, my dad started be- being like the, the sound guy the engineer that sits in the back and handles all the, you know, cause he could produce commercials and stuff. <laughs> and my mom was in a singing group called his harmony. Um, yeah. <laughs> and she wrote over like 50 songs. Um, oh, they did originals. That's including impressive. a call and response that she and her friend would, co- would sort of call a rap, but it wasn't oh. of course, but it was called it's hot. And the lyrics were, it's hot, it's hot, in the fire hell, it's hot. Well, I'm not going to go there. How about you? Well, I'm not going there, you see, because Jesus Christ died to set me free. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. And so that <laughs> so that's, was... that's burned into your brain forever. That's yeah. burned in there. <laughs> but so are all those other songs, you know, the Sandy Patty. I don't know oh, if yeah. that resonates with you I all. I forgot about Sandy Patty. That's, I mean, that Whoa. wasn't, I think that my parents or my mother might have listened to some Sandy Patty, but I, I wouldn't recognize it for that. I just remember the name. Yeah, Sandy Patty, Amy Grant, of course, was like almost the alt Um alternative yep. you know christian whatever see where that got her yeah, yeah. exactly divorce <laughs> Ooh. so i'll go back a little bit because when i was you know that little little kid toddler age and above um my first memories were really unfortunately dealing with uh spankings and beatings, you know, the corporal punishment, spare the rod and spoil the child. As God intended. Yes. Very familiar. Yes. And in my case, it wasn't like it, it became out of control because my dad, I think, you know, is a person that just would lose his temper really easily. Like it was just in him. He had never matured in that way where you learn to control your emotions. Um, and he, he, when he would deliver a spanking, which was almost church ordained at that point, we had a paddle that hung on the, our wall that had spare the rod and spoil the child, um, which I talked about on our episode with Christian nightmares. But uh, he would also just like whip off his belt or use the hand or just do it in anger, you know. And so, but before he ever really hit me, um, I my mom was trying to. Like, I, I remember like one of my first memories, which is so disturbing to her now, was her having a breakdown, just like this crying because she had tried to discipline me with a hairbrush, like, you know, hit the back of my butt or my legs. And of course, like any kid, you reflexively, you know, run away or try to put your hands over, you know, your ass. And and she was trying to get me to move your hands, move your hands, which doesn't work. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my God. And so she fell to pieces, sobbing on the floor. And I was the one who was like, mommy, it's okay. You know, don't worry. Everything's okay. I'm okay. Um, Did she feel like she had to because of church? And that uh, was not something she wanted to do, really. mm -mm. That's awful. She didn't want to do it. And so that's why I have a memoir now, because when I was six, um, a woman from the church decided that I was not behaving. She could observe that I was an obstinate child, that maybe I talked, you know, out of turn or I was, but I was really just always like anxious to get out of church. Like once those two hours of just adults talking, um, was over, we we would get donuts or sometimes we would go to the art museum and actually do something fun. And this woman, you know, took my mom aside and was just like, you got to give Aaron to me for the weekend. Just like go away with your husband, have some time off. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to fix her for you. And shit. it was crazy. This woman had a family, but they weren't there. Like my memory was it was just she and I alone in her house. What and is that like a, her thing? Like her family goes away for the weekend and she just Yeah, I don't the child all week? What exactly? Exactly. I feel like it, uh diagnosable. Like you're not even like you're totally. kind of a criminal yeah. at that point, aren't you? That's a like sick not, person. It's yeah. a really sick person. And I knew she was a sick person. And I didn't I do remember being beaten by her and shamed by her and her horrible um, just demeanor, you know, like I'm sure we've all had teachers where you just, even though you're young, you know that there's something wrong. There's something wrong with this authority figure and they don't like children, you know? Yeah. I, I, I feel like I remember every single person as a kid that I encountered that was like, that obviously hated kids. Yeah. Because it was such a, I don't know, it made you nervous. Yeah. You didn't know what to think of them. You tried to be nice to them, but they were like not interested in you at all. Yeah. And like there were some some guys that worked for my dad over the years that, that were like that. Like, yeah. I mean, just actively ignore you or I don't know. That's it's, it is, it's such a weird thing to, yeah. to see in somebody when you're a kid. Yeah. Like I, that helped me develop my skills really early on of like, you know, hypervigilance, being highly aware of who um, didn't have it all together. Like I knew really early on that without having the language that there was something wrong with my dad, there was something wrong with this woman, that it wasn't okay to hit, you know, like, and I didn't fall in line, but apparently I fell in line that weekend when she returned me to my parents. Um, my dad was not the type to concern himself with, um, with that kind of thing. But my mom remembers me being black and blue and feeling ashamed that somebody felt they had to beat me that much. Because I think at that point she was so brainwashed in in it that 
her thought wasn't like, oh my God, this woman abused, assaulted my my little daughter. But I was such a bad disciplinarian that this woman felt that she had to beat her to this extent. I've never caused bruises. Um, It's like when like you have kids, like I have two kids and I know that there's like that feeling sometimes of like when they're acting up or they're not listening or throwing a tantrum or you're in a public space and they're doing things that you don't want them to and refusing to listen. You're like, Oh my God, this makes me look like a psycho. Like everyone's like, Oh, that's a good parent right there. But like, it, like it's almost flipped into like a very unhealthy version of that when your mom's like, Oh, I'm, I'm ashamed that she acted up that. But it's like the connection should be, even though you didn't act up more there than you did in your own home. It was like, if she, if, it would have been perfectly normal for you to have like what kid would handle yeah. that situation. It, that's a weirdest circumstance to throw your kid into. Totally. And I still don't understand that connection, like why it's so important for the children to be seen and not heard. You know, clearly parenting has changed a lot. Um, I think in the popular consciousness, I think less Americans spank their kids. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's still definitely like accepted and considered normal, um, despite all of the, the research that it literally traumatizes kids and can lead to all triggers, mental illness and anxiety, which definitely happened for me. I know the research really is on that one. Mm -hmm. So do you remember like, like what happened when you were at this lady's house or I mean, Oh yeah. I have a whole chapter about it. I remember um, what really was the trigger for her. She was really angry with me that I, um, I knew the movie, um, the Wizard of Oz, which happened to be playing on television. Like maybe I was, I was allowed to, um, her TV was on and the Wizard of Oz was on it. And I remember like, you know, being excited to see it again and, you know, follow the yellow brick road. And she was so angry. Um, just that I, knew that movie or something it truly she was just waiting for you were getting it one way or the other yeah and you guys i did hear after my book came out so many many years later 30 years later that um she uh, she lost custody of her children like she she left uh one of her kids on the side of the road and drove away like as punishment so, oh yeah, that yeah. is a big person. That's oh. unreal. That was just a, so she wasn't like a much older woman than your your mom at the time. Uh, probably not. No, it was probably that that same. Yeah, it's true. I always saw my mom as very glamorous because she she really followed the um, the literature at the time that existed for wives, where it was like you never don't wear makeup, you know, you never leave the house without, you know, just as as if you're going to church. And this woman, you know, had no adornment whatsoever. And so I just didn't, I didn't trust her. I was just like, who is this? Just imagine the trench pole. That's what what pops up in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she was like Carrie White. I mean, no, like, 
<laughs> Carrie White's mother in Carrie. Just like, just oh, nuts. That's nuts. A, okay. That that's a good reference. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you- I, I there's something to be said about like obviously that's that's a that's a really extreme example of it. But yeah, I I sometimes I think about like you know parents in my church and stuff, and it's kind of like. Uh, almost like a, a political rally in some ways where the most extreme person that's the loudest is the one that sets the tone and the pace for everybody else. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of parents, which, you know, my parents were pretty moderate compared yeah. to the people that we grew up around. But I think they were pressured into taking things seriously that that they wouldn't have if we would have been in a different environment. Like, things about music and movies and some of that stuff. Like there was a lot of pressure within the church on parents to like enforce these rules, even if they don't make sense to you, you know, like it's a social acceptance almost to make sure your kids don't see Harry Potter or something like that. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there was that, uh, emphasis on um, purity and not exposing yourself to too much of the secular. And since I had grown up with that record collection and a very enthusiastic, you know, dad when it came to rock and roll specifically, when it became time, you know, to go to that youth group seminar about you know, why rock and roll is bad. That's when it really changed for me, you know? Okay. Um, Like I use the example of like, at the time Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer was like the song and um, the, the youth pastor's wife was like, if we really break this down, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe it doesn't seem like this song has is is bad except that they're really living on a wish because Bon Jovi is not praying, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh my god. And I was just like this is such bullshit because dad, you know, one of the songs that had like that helped me understand the confusion that I was feeling even though I was really little was a John Lennon solo song that he put out on the Plastic Ono Band, like his first album after leaving the Beatles. And it's called God. And it opens with God is a concept by which we measure our pain. And then he goes on to list all of the things he doesn't believe in. Um, I don't believe in, in Jesus. I don't believe in Buddha. I don't believe in Beatles. I just believe in me. Yoko and me. And it was like that it broke it down, you know, to what was important, which is love, you know? And so there were always those conflicting messages where it's like the golden rule and love your neighbor and forgiveness and all of those good things. But then there would be, you know, homophobia and war and racism and, um, uh, uh, you know, sexual violence, uh, misogyny, uh, 
it, it goes on and on. But like every year of my development as a human being would be informed by that that paradox. And then as you learn, you know, that that Christians, you know, some some of them are just like in any in any um, religion or just in society, some people are really bad and some people are evil even um, and are using the church to hide. One of the things that's ironic, like what you're saying is like having these records. Well, it's funny because a lot of kids go to these events and then they come back and like the youth leader said I need to burn my album collection. And maybe the parents (laughs) at that point are like, that's fine. Like they haven't bought an album in 20 years. They don't really give a shit. But Mm -hmm. like, obviously, if you even came home with an idea like that, your dad would probably be like, "Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, he was like, wink, wink. And also it wasn't, you know, it's not. There's, it's not bad to listen to rock and roll. I'm sure they were, you know, I know he was he was way more freaked out about like one's coming of age as as a girl and sexuality and all of that. But um, it's, it's funny because they do like there is a conflicting message. It's, I, I, it's interesting that you picked up on it as early as you did, because most of us make it through high school youth group. Being like, yeah, this unconditional love. This is the only place to find it. The only person who ever talked about right. unconditional love is Jesus and Christianity and everything else has just been fake and false this entire time. And then you get up like a little bit older and you're like, oh, all of these messages of like peace, hope, love, uh, unconditional love. It's like buried under these messages of shame and fear. And it's yeah. like, it's unintentional. Like, but it's almost like, um, uh, what do they call it? Co- like cognitive cognitive dissonance. It's like, this totally. you, you gaslight yourself almost like this is unconditional love and then they just whenever something doesn't look like it it's like that's when all the yeah buts come into play it's like well yeah but god's also just yeah well but and then you have to like fill in all the blanks to make it okay for god to dangle you or not catch you from dangling over a fiery pit that's one of the buts well god's not doing it but he's not catching you it's god wants oh. us to invade iraq oh <laughs> yeah. totally Totally. And I think the turning point for me in my childhood, because like a lot of kids, you know, I kissed a girl before I kissed a boy, you know, like even though I'm straight, I didn't, you know, I was, you know, you experiment, you, uh, there were definitely times when Bible study was going on upstairs and the girls were, you know, having a slumber party downstairs, if you know what I mean. Just like (laughs) normal I didn't, I didn't talk to girls very much, but. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's I'm picking right. up the pieces well, a little bit. That's the thing. We didn't talk to boys very much, but we talked to each other. And there's only so much, um, I don't know, you can do before, you know, actually practicing kissing on someone. Um, but yeah, AIDS, AIDS happened in the 80s. And that. I vividly remember like not being able to sleep, being so upset about what I was hearing about, um, you know, AIDS being a punishment uh, for homosexuality um, and all the fear mongering around it. And uh, people in our church, the older youth group kids um, going to New York City and trying to, you know, hate the hate love the sinner, hate the sin, 
with gay people kind of thing. Like that's hilarious to me that that Ohio Christian youth would go to New York City in search of gays um, <laughs> to convert or something. I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah, they're gonna like your message, buddy. They're like, you know what? I hadn't thought about that. I'm not gay anymore. This is good. This is good stuff. Good stuff. But I I knew that 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 was wrong to persecute people. And I somehow knew uh, and accepted like, oh, if I'm gay, because I didn't mind kissing Jessica or whatever, (laughs) then um, I don't think God would want me to die of a terrible disease. You know, I just, I sort of was very self-protective in that way and, and sort of stuck to the Jesus stories and kept away from the hellfire like in some ways really refusing to be shamed um in some ways so did you i mean it's i want to twist this a little bit because you've been i've heard you've talked about your mom a good bit which is ironic for someone who has a podcast tell me about your father exactly (laughs) which i guess is why you started it um so you started shifting out like you started seeing youth group go to New York. And that's when things kind of started falling apart for you. Um, is that the right timeline? Am I following? Well, yeah, I was, well, so a, a big tragedy happened. Uh, we had the misfortune of um, living next to a pedophile who was a juvenile oh, offender. Yikes. One of those like 17, 18. And it was weird because he, it was like my parents, I think, should have known better. Like, don't let your three little kids or eight, five and two, you know, be babysat or hang out all day long with this kid. And then other other kids on the street, just like in this wild pack. And they had wow. no, you know, no supervision, woods. So it had come out that happened. he had. So this has happened before and it was like the town like the neighborhood knew about it like he was a registered he no. or she no it was a he and it was one of those things where um i was being molested or i had a couple of experiences with this predator but i was like at the ripe old age of 11 you know oh which seemed in my mind like well, this guy just, this teen boy just like likes me and this is my destiny. And, um, and I, and I also, because I had been being groomed or what I now know that is, you know, I'm like an older brother. I'll always take care of you. If you ever have trouble in junior high, you know, that kind of stuff. So I never said anything. I never said anything. And it was never a rape. So that also like, in my mind, like whatever's happening, it's normal. And, but also it should be secret. And so I didn't say a thing, anything. And then when I was around 12 or 13, my six-year-old brother was raped by this person. Holy oh shit. Oh my God. And I know, I'm sorry to bring it down, but no, no, you I know, mean, it's geez. in the book and it, it really was a huge turning point because this little kid had so much bravery, you know, to come out and tell his parents, tell our parents, you know, that this was happening. It was unbelievable. 
and the swiftness with which it was swept under the rug. I mean, not, okay, so it's confusing because I had gone away to camp and I came back and it had happened over the summer when I was gone and it was the kind of thing where my dad told me that it happened and he'd had some kind of talk with the kid. Back then, especially, no cops were involved. It was, or if they were, then it's considered a family issue um, or a court or a juvenile thing. And I just remember like, they didn't want to put my brother through more, you know, there was never an option for him to even. (sighs) It was never going to trial, right? Right. And, And that doesn't even happen you know, or it didn't then. And it probably still doesn't now. And all I know is they moved away, the people that live next door. I don't know what happened to him. I heard that my dad had a talk with him. But the point is, is that it was the neglect that that was able to happen, you know, Mm -hmm. um, just like bad parenting choices. And then that it was never discussed again by my father, you know, and that my mom really did make a point to um, get my brother therapy, try to um, encourage him in his healing um, and, and sort of had a dialogue with, with us about it. But my dad never, you know, it, nothing changed with the way his parenting approach happened. And I think that was very damaging, um, you know, not to uh, n- not to discuss it with your son, but then continue Do you think it was a form of denial for him to have never brought it up? Not trying to like make it, that probably doesn't sound like Yeah, I think it's just like too tough, you know, like too hard. Yeah. And and also just like um, folding it in maybe with with sexuality and and like sure. coming of age of stuff. It makes it makes people so uncomfortable. I mean, of right. course. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I've not even a lot of people who have had that experience or are closely related to those experiences aren't comfortable as adults talking about it openly, and that's obviously fine. But so it. No, it's I not didn't. Not an easy conversation to have and information to just like offer freely. So yeah, I never, even after my brother disclosed that, like I had never like followed up and was like, oh yeah, I just internalized that incredible guilt. Like, but really, I was a kid too, and I didn't understand that someone who would be, you know, interested in me could be interested in a. a baby you yeah. know like that's, a, that's when it clicks for you. When you heard that that's when it clicked for you that what was happening to you wasn't normal yeah and okay. I was just I was so angry and but I didn't end up telling my mother until I was writing the book like oh wow like I totally had a nervous breakdown about it because I guess that shame of like I was a bad sister for not protecting you know, my brother. And what so was... it was just a shitstorm. But that wasn't even the only thing. Then 
my dad got cancer, like stage three colon cancer in like his late 30s. I think he was 38 or 39. And that set off like a couple of years of just like what will happen to the family, you know? And my parents' marriage was starting to unravel. There was so much fighting after he got better. Um, And simultaneously, the church, through all of these major upheavals in our family's lives, was just absent. Like, just no real help when you finally need it. You know, just prayers. We're too praying messy, for you. too personal. Like, right. hey, okay, well, the problem you know, is that we're here for you. Uh, don't bring it in, though. Okay, yeah, <laughs> keep that outside. Yeah, you, you can't you can't set up that meal train without having email. I mean, it was just too complicated. That's what's nice now is you can be like, well, who wants to sign up to bring a meal? They have they have apps for that now. Tater oh, they have apps. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> that's another thing. Like the uh, you know. Well, just yeah, I was I've been surprised my grandmother who just died last year and I'll talk about her in a minute because she's an important figure in my life who is a Christian or was a Christian um for till the end because eventually like my parents like let it go and grew out of and fell away and then developed their own uh you know my mom's currently married to an atheist. Um, and what was I saying? <laughs> Sorry. You, I want to ask a question yeah. uh, about just your thoughts on something real quick. What do you think is there are people who go through difficult times and they go through traumatic experiences and they cling to their faith and they get through it. And it's as strong as it's ever been. Uh, and then all praise be to God. All glory be to God. Right. And there are plenty of people who take those same exact experiences and go, I don't, I just don't think I can buy in anymore. Like, what do you, what do you think is the difference between those people? Cause obviously you you said your parents fizzled out. Uh, it, and maybe that was in part with the heart. Well, they fizzled out because um, my, by the time I was graduating high school, my dad and, my brother, who was now a teenager, um, got in a fight before school and my dad punched him. Like he lost it. He just hit him in the face. And that was the first time that that had ever happened. And it happened in front of all of us. And my mom was just like, done. She's like, you're out of control. You're out. And that was the break with the church. That was the break with the marriage. Eventually, it it was like, I think my dad had to go to court appointed, not maybe not court appointed, I don't know, but anger management. Um, and the divorce was like really the healthiest thing possible. And everyone was friends. But I, I think like it was especially devastating to my mom that her closest confidants in the church like could not relate to her wanting to exit a marriage oh, yeah. that Divorce. was abusive. That was you know? the big problem. It has too many ramifications for their relationships, I think. It's like, yeah. we cannot entertain that as an option. That is that is no place here, and so we can't be there for you. 
because that opens up a can of worms for us. Yeah. And I mean, cause there's so many people, you know, even being a kid and like kind of on the outside of things, like you could think of couples that were at your church that should have gotten yeah. a divorce, you know? Yeah. But it's that oblig that, that holy obligation to stay together at all costs, you know? Yeah. I really, I really didn't get that. I don't get that. Um, I think, I think people stay in the faith out of fear, of course, and loneliness and, and um, just that sense that you're going to lose uh, your, your faith really in, I think, specifically for Christianity, a life after death. And to me, what happens to me after I die is none of my business except for the people that are left behind. You know, has anyone ever talked about like, do you guys know that Keanu Reeves on Colbert a couple of years ago, Colbert asked him, Keanu, what happens when we die? And without missing a beat, he goes, "Um, uh, I know that when we die, the people that love us will miss us. And that was it. And and Stephen Colbert, like who's a Catholic, uh, tears up like it was the most profound thing he'd ever heard, and it occurred to me like hell yeah, like that's it. It's we are here to love each other and help each other get through whatever this is, whatever this scary, horrible, um, wonderful, exquisite terrifying hellhole that we're already in now. Yeah. You know, I, I, mean, I remember not exactly the, the moment or the day or anything like that, but I remember the, I just remember the feeling of like the first time I had, I thought about it and was just like, Oh, it's all okay. Like, yeah. Like, Cause I spent a lot of time worrying like, well, what, what if you're not actually saved? What, you know, everyone has, goes yeah. to the altar calls a bunch of times and, like there's always like, well, what's saved always saved. But what if I just fucked it up that last time and I need to get it right to make yeah. sure nothing bad really happens? And you, you just get in your head about it. And of course, maybe there's some links to anxiety there. Not so much for me, but for other people. And yeah, it's like, but that first time I had thought about it, I'm like, oh, probably nothing happens. And if something does, it can't be bad. Yeah, I just well, don't. And I and being at peace with that without second guessing it later was like, yeah, that feeling. Well, here's of freedom what I wanted. I wanted to say to say about my grandmother who, you know, since the 70s, when she got re-saved after my mom got saved, has just been a diehard, you know, fund. I, I don't want to say fundamentalist, but committed, born again Christian, moved to Texas with all of her, you know, born again Christian relatives, aunts and uncles. Um Texas by choice, because that's like the godliest of states, Um, always voted Republican, including for Trump, Um, but also was somehow like never, never like let that mess with our own relationship. Um, Like she was always really proud of me. And when she she read the book, she was 91. 
and sharp as attack, blind, but listened to it on audio, <laughs> bought exactly. several copies. Um, and I thought when we talked about it that she would lecture me about God or, um, you know, at least say, you know, Jesus loves you or perhaps, you know, worse, you know, ask me pointed questions about faith. She didn't say any of that. She was she was like the most, um, I don't know, open that I'd ever heard her be. You know, she's like, I just, first of all, you're a really good writer. And I read a lot and so many, you know, books just fizzle out and they're boring. And I was never bored. And I want you to know that I can relate to a lot of the things that you were saying. Like, I'm not shocked. I've lived a little, you know, (laughs) and that's all she said. And then a year later, you know, she died of like basically natural causes. And, um, but, you know, de-escalated really quickly um, as, as the elderly do. And my mom got to be with her in her last days And she kept saying that she had been dreaming of my grandfather, who died 20 years before she did, um, and her her parents. And this was days before she died, you know. And my mom said to her, oh, well, that it sounds like heaven, you know. But she was like, I guess. Like in her last days, she did not talk about Jesus. She didn't talk about God. She didn't talk about heaven, which I think is very, very weird. This was before the morphine. Because as soon as they gave her that hospice shot, you know, it was game over. But I I saw a TikTok later with some um, recently with some hospice nurses, and they said um, that in their experience, most people who get to that point where they're able to experience hospice or or die of old age, or just like, you know, are are, are convalescing within the last two weeks of their li- lives, they will start to see their relatives or their loved ones or the people that they miss, you know, that died before them. And I thought of Keanu, um, <laughs> but I, it's, and, and they'll often like say their names, you know, and just that Rush she, Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> but just that she had that experience, but she didn't connect it at the very end of her life to heaven. That just is fascinating to me. That yeah. is. It, I mean, it maybe is. it's just like, it's like a, a result of just not being afraid of what's coming, you know? I mean, eternity, yes. like yes. all of this thoughts, you know, things about eternity and stuff and not to diminish people's, people's beliefs and stuff, but for some people, for sure, it's a, it's kind of a coping mechanism. Yeah. It's like, I'm not happy in my life, but someday I'm going to be in eternity with the Lord and it's going to be great and stuff. And hundred you know, percent. I don't know. I mean, it feels thin now and flimsy to people who are on the outside of it, but maybe the closer you get to that point, you know, if you've, if you're not afraid to go, yeah, maybe it feels flimsy to you too, you know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think 
it, it was so cool to hear from these nurses because they're like, if you are able to die of natural causes, it's not painful. It's not painful. And the majority of people are not afraid at the end, you know? Hmm. I don't know. I just really. That's cool. I I feel like people whose jobs are to experience where they experience death on a daily or somewhat regularly basis, regular basis have a lot of insight, but who else does that? It's, you don't, it's It's like you have to be like an incredibly wise or well-learned person, but just that experience is something that so few people have. And yeah, even if you like, people are so uncomfortable with it. It's I know to to be that comfortable around death and to talk about it like that is really interesting. I know. And talk about angels. I mean, if, if you've ever been in the hospital, it's like the good nurses. Um, I've only ever experienced like wonderful nurse nursing care. But, um, you know, it's something I've been thinking about a lot with COVID. I, I just feel like some of these anti-vaxxers or, or COVID deniers are just kind of suicidal. Like, like just want to get out of here or something. It's such a, a weird um, trick that your brain is playing on you. Like, uh, how it's, dare yeah. you, you, you mess with my timeline where I can go and meet my maker if that's his will. You know, God doesn't make mistakes. Oh, he does. You know, <laughs> it's a it's a lot of things, you know, but part of it is just the the continual like doubling down, the doubling. Like, down. I am I am not afraid of this and I will prove that I'm not afraid of this. I'm not touching anything. No preventative care. I'm not, you know, doing this or that or the other. I will. It's, right. it's partly that it's partly like just the politicization of all of this to the point where to to take covid seriously and to follow some of the steps is like you're acquiescing to the other side and yeah so you have to you got to stick to your guns this is like it's like conviction at that point you know yeah the medical community used to be the neutral zone almost there were there were neutral zones in politics and there are there's no neutral zones anymore it's like if you can find info like there's a lot of obviously bad information or should I say just wrong information out there. So like depending on your personality or your predisposition or your community or whatever, like you can, you'll gravitate towards certain things and you don't have, everything's divided now anyway, where even within a church, you're not going to have any naysayers. Mostly um, they're not going to be, it's not going to be that one person in the room is like, well, I don't know about that. And if they, there is, they probably don't really want to speak up that much at this point or they found a yeah. new church to go to, but it does feel like there are no more neutral zones where like pre-internet, there was like, well, you know, there's a, at least some people who have researched certain things and know a lot. And I'll just trust that they know what they're talking about when they say X, Y, and Z. And now it's like, right. well, I found this guy and this guy says that that person's working for a cabal that wants to, you know, kidnap children and sell them in Wayfair cabinets. And you're like, what the fuck? How did we get here? It's totally. like, totally. 
Totally. And that's <laughs> what I mean, that's what really sealed it. You know, obviously Trump's presidency, because he is a sociopath with very little going on up here, which is the most dangerous combination. Like Kim um, Jong-un sort. <laughs> <laughs> like truly, truly sick. And also, you know, friends with all the dictators that I'm sure my, you know, more uh, evangelical, you, you know, it's it's Islam's fault. It's it's Afghanistan. It's the the Middle East. It's the Jews. It's whatever, whatever people are, uh, whoever they hate this month or something. Yeah. I remember, evangelicals used to hate uh, Putin. I remember in like high school. Oh yeah. And now oh, they're like, yeah. well, I mean, he seems like a good, strong leader. You're like, okay, yeah. how did we get here? <laughs> how did we get here? Um, but yeah, then that fruitless endeavor of trying to like point that out to, you know, your, uh, your uncle or something who's just like ready for an argument. And then, and then we get, we bring scripture into it and then I'll quote Trump and be like, oh, so grab him by the pussies. Okay. And it's like, you can see him flinching. Like I'll wash your mouth out with soap. Oh, wait. You're just quoting the guy that I love, you know? It's so confusing and yeah. like well, you said. He's just a man. He's not perfect. He's just a man. But I believe right. God's using him. Right. Yeah, that's usually, <laughs> that is, uh, that's kind of the go-to there. I think it's it's there's so much of the like terrible discourse between actual acquaintances and family members and stuff like that has to do with the, the the constant like representation of whichever side Trump the other side is like you're you're constantly hearing the most abrasive most grating voice from the TV of that yeah. representing that side and so like to you know that's what that's what people expect mm-hmm. I think that's what's tough is like because I'm I'm in Kansas and most yeah. everybody I know here voted for Trump and are pretty conservative and stuff and by and large great people yeah but when when they're teed up with someone that they expect to be a representative of you know whatever liberals you know you name it woke yeah exactly like they (laughs) assign this like vitriol and stuff to that person before they ever get to hear from them and it's the same both ways you know it's like there's just no room for for graceful disagreement on some of this stuff anymore and that's why it makes it so hard to to bridge those gaps with someone even when it just doesn't make like whatever we're talking about just doesn't make sense you know yeah it's it's really it's really a whole different ball game than when i was younger because you're (laughs) right it's um uh, i don't know yeah twitter certainly makes it rough twitter's a fun fun world was now was your dad like i mean so look looking at you know, some of the stuff that, that you've talked about with your dad. Yeah. It doesn't sound like he was like, you know, the, the, um, the, the doting TV dad always there with advice and bring your problems to him and stuff like that. Was he, I mean, would he see himself more as almost like a friend, like a friend figure to you? Yeah. It was all, um, you know, he really loved, um, that I was good, at what I was good at. And we we really bonded over my love of books and my love of music because those were his loves too. And he would buy me books and, um, you know, he would take me, um, 
you know, my at some point, my mom, you know, just stopped going anywhere with him. So he would take me to the symphony. He would take me to the playhouse. He would take me to nice restaurants. It was like we were going on dates. They were they were always platonic. <laughs> it wasn't that kind of relationship with my dad, although he did call me a whore um, in high school in anger um, and didn't talk to me for three days. But then there would be times when, you know, I would just push back a lot and I would say things to him like, you have to talk to me. Like, I, I'm just not, this isn't who you are. So let's just talk. And so by the time I was in college um, and I went to, you know, Kent State, so very close to home, just like an hour away. So he would come for like, you know, weekends or and we would go out to dinner and stuff. And and at that point, he was like my friend, like because he wanted to talk about what it was like to be a single guy you know, in his, (laughs) I guess, 40s. And I was like, ew. And he's like, but you understand women. And it's like, no, I don't. Um, Inappropriate. (laughs) So I was always telling him like, you know, and then we had that, that sort of, you know, we were more on equal footing, even though that's dysfunctional as well. Um, But I, we we did we were really close and he in that way where he just always encouraged like um and supported whatever i wanted to do whether that was like marching for gay rights which is what they were called back then um on washington you know he he would tell all his friends at at the office that you know his daughter was a young activist um, and moving to New York, totally supportive of that. Um, gave me a camera, taught me how to take pictures. Uh, and we always, we went to concerts together. So that was the, I'm so glad we got out of those horrible years and got a chance to connect in a different human way. Yeah. Um, and then he... He started to get into some kind of other spiritual journey, um, which was really about, I think, nature and, you know, like Native American. He was really into like the great Southwest and and history and um, or a lot of turquoise. Oh, thank you. I was just saddle blankets. You got it. You got it. You get the bolo ties. Totally. He got like a tattoo at the very last year that he he was alive that was like some kind of Mayan, you know, like a, a warrior with his penis dangling. Like <laughs> so weird. So weird. Is that in your guys's heritage or? No, not at all. And um, who even knows what our heritage is? It's like ugh, white people. Yeah. It was embarrassing. <laughs> you know, he was the dad on the golf course with the lame socks, you know, pulled up and, but, you know, he has a very different relationship with my brothers, you know, like, I think he was very proud to have like a daughter, you know, be the oldest. Um, Because I I certainly wasn't doing sports with him like my brothers were, but uh, yeah, 
we had so, a different bond. It sounds like he he I don't know where he was at on the evangelical mm, devout. He was just spectrum. trying it on. Yeah. He never let that that culture like box him in. It sounds like he was kind of a you know, a kid at heart in some ways and Yeah. He he loved the things that he loved more than he wanted to fit into evangelicalism. Totally. Yeah. He Did was really guys- selfish. He was really self-centered. <laughs> he really was. He really was. But, you know, people are complicated. And that's that's what I've been, you know, writing about and and, you know, getting therapy about and talking about, particularly with my my friends who I made, you know, in New York who come from all over and also have like really fucked up childhoods around religions. One of my friends was, um, dad got into like a cult, like a really like children of God, like really scary. Oh, um, oh, you know, yeah. uh, lots of, lots of stuff like that. And we, and we would just un try to undo the damage that had been that it's had so been crazy because what i mean the stuff that pulls people into that the stuff that it's like, like cults especially but um obviously everyone in their own narrative in their own world is like the good guy and and your missteps were just mistakes and you're pretty people are usually pretty gracious towards themselves i mean yeah. some people can be really hard on themselves but like so i mean did did that did your dad's missteps come up with with you guys and your relationship towards the end? Uh, the, did you ever discuss the issues that you, oh, were that's along the way? Such a good question because I feel like we were really on that. We were like about to. Um, he was he was in this relationship when he died with, um, like madly in love with this woman who was married to someone else, oh. and. Um, that's bad. And so I had just learned about that and and been introduced to this person. And so oh, at that's that awkward. Point, you got introduced totally. to the person physically, like yes, handshake. Yes. Oh my God, that's weird. And it was weird it was because it was like, well, here's our plan. You know, once her kids graduate from high school, we're going to like run away together. And it's like, oh, dad. Oh, man. oh no. You know, and... <laughs> It, at that point, oh well, that's what that's what it happened. I I'm a literary agent, and I got into the business in in the year 2000. Um, and so it was my job to like read manuscripts all the time and 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 learn about like what's good. And as soon as I started working in publishing, he produced a short story, um, <laughs> which was a cuck fantasy that i'm not kidding. this is so horrible i love it about my mom like it was truly like a penthouse letters kind of he's like i'm thinking of sending this to maxim um i, I he didn't have he did not have appropriate boundaries, boundaries with you. No boundaries. Like, you are right I no everyone like, else was like a side character in his storyline that's right yeah <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly I the right. Story was be like had to do with her husband, but it's that wasn't nope. it. You, that was a twist that I did not expect. That M Night Shyamalan moment. And when he died, um, 
you know, they had been together the night before. But I remember like she she was a part of the funeral and and of course all of that stuff, but a secret from her own family. And I've learned I've since learned she's still with that person. She now, never divorced her husband. What is this lady's deal? <laughs> I mean, you know, people. People are, are weird. Um but was he sick when they got together? He wasn't sick. He he died of a heart attack. So he, oh, it was like right. that kind of thing where, and ironically on a treadmill next to a hospital um, as part of like a cardiac care regimen. Um, but he had been a lifelong smoker, you know, like even on top of the cancer and terrible diet, um, just dead at 54, you know, but was listening to Abbey Road when he went, like on a at a CD, you know, a disc man. He would have picked so, that for himself at least. Yeah, so I I really feel like that 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 is meaningful, you know that he, that that's um, that he sort of came in on the Beatles and went out on the Beatles. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he sort of did it his way in that way. But yeah, I think writing the book was was those was all those conversations I wanted to have with him. And when I was writing it, which took years and years, it was uh, the range of emotions and like the anger, like at times just like hating him and not mm. being able to write. But then once it was over, it's just like all love, you know, which is sort of another weird yeah. metaphor that resonates um i think even within the paradigm of christianity because he was really missed and he did have really close friends in particular two two male friends that he you know had for decades and they just like they had their own relationship you know his relationship with my mom was very obviously tumultuous, but, you know, they were able to like make peace, you know, where, where it was like, they could see that they were two kids that grew up together and just, it was a fucked up circumstance, you know? And as, as we all age, we see how, how hard it is to be in a family and to be responsible for a family, you know, like I, I certainly don't feel any older in a lot of ways um, than when I was that that kid or that rebellious teenager. Like I'm still baffled by human behavior, but it does make a little bit more <laughs> sense now. Away, I guess. So yeah. how long after what? How long after your dad had passed did you decide that you wanted to write a, a book about your story? Yeah, it was 10 years after when I decided um, to write about it. I have a a mentor um, who's also my, my agent um, who was just like, you, you really have to write about this, which was a string of failed relationships, um, you know, like looking for love in all the wrong places getting with people who 
um, either reminded me of my dad unconsciously, like, oh, I didn't know that they had this dark side, or I didn't know that they were a narcissist. <laughs> you know, I just knew that I felt really great in the beginning, or I didn't know he was cheating on me, or um, but just like stuff that was really self destructive. And simultaneously, a lot of my friends who had had similar experiences um, in their lives uh, growing up, like difficult dads in, in particular, uh, were also going through that, men and women. And you guys got married young, right? It was like that whole thing. There's this like incredible shame, I think, in particular, if you're a you know, woman that, that you're not married by 30 or in your thirties, or at least like locked down, like that somebody loves you, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that was, that was like that unconscious thing. It's like, I know Jesus loves me, but can I just find a human being on the earth at the same time? Jesus is here. He's, he's you here. Know? I know, but he's just not dating. <laughs> and I really. <laughs> he's married to everybody. We just had, we have a Discord channel and we had this person <laughs> post today about a story of her when she was in, uh, she went to like a ministry camp after high school yeah. and they all had a ceremony where everyone got rings and got married to Jesus and couldn't right. date the first year. It was like, I mean, how much that's extreme those rings for cost? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just like, God damn, that's so weird. I love that it's obligatory. Like you <laughs> have to do it. It's like a, it's arranged a, yeah. marriage. It's an exciting yeah. thing that you have to do. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. get to do this. Yeah. That makes me think of Jessica Simpson and her dad. Like did, I think they, they had like a promise ring ceremony where she married her dad and then she <laughs> married Nick what's, Lachey Nick or whatever. Lachey. And now her dad is like openly gay, right? I mean, oh, yeah. Well, he is. Um, yeah, it's it was just like one of those classic like Hollywood Christian. Yeah. Then not so much. No, like so, like your mom. I'm sure she was kind of just along for the ride behind your dad for a long time, you know. And when they finally split, like. Yeah. Did she get to kind of come into her own? Did she find her own loves and things that she got to pursue? She did. It was 100% that um, after my dad's illness, you know, she realized, like, if he dies, I have to take care of these children. And I don't have any skills. I don't have a network. I don't know how to do anything. She started taking night classes at college, first studying music because that's what she knew then studying English, because you start to read, you start to read some, uh, you know, take one literature class, particularly like women's lit. And um, she was changed within a couple years. And, and she just basically educated herself out of that mindset. Um, I think, uh, I think part of it too, was she had to write um, a, a big term paper defending uh, a pro-life stance. And I think within the research process of that, and also just being a person that's had multiple children, um, 
not being able to justify that to herself. Um, and so all those things were happening and she simply got a job, you know, and by the, now she's like, you know, a marketing director. She ended up, you know, basically becoming, she does what my dad did, you know, when he was doing it. Um, but she's doing it her own way. And, and she is the, the reason that I know people are capable of change. And that's such an important thing for, for listeners to hear is that you don't have to never change. And I it's know. okay. It's okay to expand your horizons if it's even if it's scary or if it feels like you're betraying your your old self. Just call it research and see. Yeah. <laughs> Just give it a second. Um, it's almost I, in the community we came from. It's a virtue to never, never change your mind about that. That's right. They tell you everything you need to know about this book. And then everything else is, is just trying to tear down the truth because they are haters of truth and worldly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I don't know. I, I it, it becomes a virtue to never. Yeah. Conviction is, ground, is sticking with the world. rules. Even once you're not. You're mentally and spiritually not there anymore. It's like that's That's a crisis of faith. A crisis of faith means you stay going through the motions even once you don't know why you're doing them anymore and you don't believe in it. And it's Mm -hmm. just, I I stayed. It's kind of like the, I stayed in this marriage even though we hated each other, but we did it because we made a commitment to each other. And you don't have to do any of those (laughs) things, you know? No, no. It's an interesting trait, too, because I feel like it's probably if you could break down whatever that trait is that makes people feel committed to standing their ground on something like that's obviously been useful throughout human history, like to just stick to those guns. And it's probably saved people's lives a lot at some point. But um, it's almost like social evolution is uh, a psychological evolution isn't keeping up with the social evolution is that what it is maybe i have those flipped but yeah well wow we've really come a long way you know it just in the you know certainly the last 20 years but in the last couple of years yeah i mean you never could have predicted um you know you just never could have predicted that a, a reality tv star fake billionaire rapist would be president of the united states to like 46 million people. Yay. You know, like, whoa. Um, Just and by then, God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's how, that's how they, I mean, honestly, that's another way of saying it. It's so wild. He's so right. It's like, well, yeah, the, this, the odds were against him. The only way it could have happened is because God was on it. It's such a terrible way to be able to, and of course, when the, the lament goes, it's the other way when that, if he didn't win, it's not because of God. And it's a, it doesn't always, it's not equally applied, but right. No, totally. But then there's we've also we're also evolving, like just the way that at least a lot of us in the culture are looking at you know these systems, including capitalism, including patriarchy, including institutionalized racism, which is absolutely a thing. Um, just the way and the the American America first, you know, mentality and God, 
prosperity, uh, Christianity, um, you know, we're starting to wrap our minds around like, oh, transgender. I think like, you know, it just, it, we were calling them trannies, you know, like five years ago. Yeah. In, in the, in the culture. Yes. And yes. But I mean, I feel like people are getting it more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just the shift and in regards to like, uh, homosexuality since I was a kid, how commonplace it yeah. was to hear an N-word in, oh, in a yeah. conversation. And like, that's, that's gone now. I mean, it's not gone, yeah. but it's, y- y- nobody is going to do that around people they don't know anymore. You know, like you have to stick Ugh. to your, your tight little community of angry people to wallow mm-hmm. in those feelings anymore. But the vast majority of people are like moving on, you know? Yeah. Moving forward or, or trying to be better. Yeah. Trying to be better. I think hopefully. Ugh. Yeah. It's, it's a complicated situation, uh, especially when you start bringing new information to light, not new, but it becomes more public and more accessible and you have more people spreading it. It's like, it's like, oh, I mean, we've been around for 200 plus, over 200 years and you look at well, our history yeah. and of course it's had some issues, but but it's weird. I mean, even looking at the history that we received growing up versus what people are saying, what you can learn now and or I don't in know, school. It's so yeah, like that's public what public school. Like, like Christian we had school. Like <laughs> or right. Well, I went to public school and it was small. Like every class was like a little less than 100 students at the time. But we had like an option to opt out if you were a creationist of like, you know, learning about evolution and, and certain yeah, wow. That's biology. Wild. I mean, I think I didn't really realize that women had a different number of ribs or I, I, I thought that for a really long time. Yeah. Like, I remember that's asking what I heard. Is that true oh. that women have one less? I one, mean, less have rib? one less rib? It's like, no, that's. That's not yeah. true. That's Whoa. What... <laughs> We've come a long ways and think of where we'll be in 2032 when President Logan Paul takes office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. So, and Aaron, let's uh, talk about your, I know we, you've talked about, kind of built up the premise of your podcast, but oh um, yeah, let's just jump into that for a little bit before we wrap up here. And I know you have, you have your podcast, you have some other offshoots, you have your, with, Maybe for your patrons, what patrons? Oh yeah. Well, so yes, the podcast. Tell me about your father. Um, right now, it's every every two weeks, but we have a great backlog um, of episodes with it, you know talking to people. Everybody from our first episode was with Barbara Feldon, who played Agent Ninety Nine in the nineteen sixties. I guess sitcom called uh, Get Smart. Oh, um, yeah. I used to watch like, that on uh, rerun like, on TV Land. So brilliant. Um, she was 87 when we interviewed her and just sharp as a tack. So we love hearing from, from people of all different backgrounds um, and ages about um, their relationships with their fathers and they're so interesting. And then we break it up 
every other episode with our other vertical called Daddy Issues, um, which is more like looking at at men and and fatherhood and masculinity and patriarchy through pop culture. And, uh, you know, I'm obsessed with television and films and art and music and books. Um, But particularly, I feel like I've been healed by, you know, TV. I really (laughs) do. Like I can, I, you know, we just did like a, a, a four episode, but seven or eight hours on the Sopranos, just like really <laughs> digging in. Um, and I remember Six Feet Under was was a really uh, was a great show uh, for me to like process grief and um, just like I don't know. I so we always try to talk about pop culture because I feel like that's that's where a lot of these stories are reflected. Sure. And Did, uh, I assume you've done, have you done Mad Men then? Oh yeah. Mad Men was our, one of our first um, TV, uh, you know, we, we looked at that clinically. It's a two-parter. It's so good. I love that show. Um, just <sighs> brilliant. Uh, we also did, <laughs> we did an episode on Loveline um, from oh, the yeah. 90s and Dr. Drew and what a menace to society he is or and always has been. If you go back, it's really good to listen to. Um, but that was a, a, a radio call-in uh, advice show that was really aimed at like teenagers of my era and sometimes like 14 year old girls would would like call in and and talk about these horrific abusive relationships that they were in and looking for advice and Adam Carolla and yeah, and yeah. Dr. <laughs> Drew would be like putting them on hold and taking bets about like okay were they molested or was dad an alcoholic and Dr. Drew would always say to the girls where's dad Lisa where's dad you know, like, why are you so fucked up? Clearly, you're, there's something wrong with your relationship with your father. So that was one of the 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 uh, formative experiences in our lives, like Matt, Busy, and I, um, where we just noticed that, um, wow, like the the way that our images of of, of fathers are pretty terrible. As a society. Yeah. <laughs> Who's some of your favorite TV dads? Oof. Well, definitely Don Draper, because I just, I, I could really um, relate to his humanity, you know, I guess. His uh, wanting to be better, but feeling uh, stuck and limited and the whole like double life, but he really was hurting himself most of all. Um, I... T- TV dads, like not the dad in This Is Us, who just drives me bonkers um, with his like quiet perfection and and bad mustache. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to say Tony Soprano because, um, wow. But yes, Tony Soprano. Um, I mean, because the way Lo- they characterize Logan the, Roy. The way to Draper, the way they characterize the humanity in these people yeah i think just the the depth 
of the hypocrisy and the, you know, I obviously love a, a complicated man that I need to analyze and, you know, like what's happening in his childhood that he is so sad and afraid that he had to like, you know, make this decision. And, and also just the idea that, you know, men historically have had access to everything, like just whatever they want, everything. And the choices that they make with, with that responsibility is, yeah. is just fascinating. That's really interesting. And then you said Logan Roy, and I'm, I'm making sure we say that. <laughs> oh, again. sorry. Yeah. Succession. I, uh, that, it, my wife and I are obsessed with that show. I think it's oh, one of the best television shows I've ever watched. And the way that they're all, all the characters are super shitty, but so you shitty. like them. Yeah. Uh, you don't always well, you respect like... them, but you feel bad for them. I don't know. It's such a, they make you feel so many different things about people in that show. And that's what I, I like about it. And how it's kind of one note, like every episode is just like, who who does he love now? Like who won his love now? Like that's what they're thinking. That's their motivation, even though it's all cloaked in this dynasty bullshit. Yeah. And they kind of hate him too. Oh, they hate him. They hate him. They're afraid of him. They love him. And I think, in, uh, you know, this last so season, there's the direct confrontation with sad Ken. Um, but yeah, the daddy issues in that show are, are pretty epic and Shakespearean. And I really, uh, recommend, uh, Brian Cox, the actor who plays Logan Roy, his incredible memoir that's coming out this year, I think in a month or so next month. Um, because he has a really fascinating story, like with his own father and as a father himself, um, which I heard on the Mark Marin podcast, but it's really good. It's he's a fascinating guy. Where's Frank Costanza in the rankings? Uh, wait, who's Frank Costanza? He's George's I, dad. Uh... George's dad. I was like, Serenity oh, now. <laughs> Serenity now. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, yeah. Who else? Like I'm trying to think from like the olden times. Mm. We don't have to keep you. Uh, we're not. We don't have to just sit here <laughs> silently and make you keep coming up with people as you uh, feel like you're running out. We're like, go ahead, keep going, and you're like, uh, do I have to? <laughs> you don't. Yeah, no. Cleaver, I... Cleaver, but Rod, Rod, Rod Cleaver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Cleavers. I don't know. Do you have? I don't know if you have anything you want other than the podcast you get your book uh you have yeah social media what do you want i don't whatever yeah. it is you want to plug don't let me down it's in paperback now kindle of course and audiobooks wherever you get your books and our podcast tell me about your father um everywhere you know all the usual platforms free we have a patreon um do you guys does everyone we have. We don't know. Uh, we are hawking t-shirts really. now. Yeah, we, <laughs> we launched our first t-shirt today. Not when this airs, That's but genius. when we're recording it. <laughs> yeah, I I'll buy a t-shirt. It's really important to. I'll to, hold you to you it. You know, 
yeah I'm definitely. sending you a link right now <laughs> uh, it, it does say born again virgin on the back of it so i'm not sure you'll really want to it's it's a tough oh sell my God. It's, <laughs> that would be amazing it's I built for ruining thanksgiving more. yeah you know? born again virgin limited yeah. quantities uh we figured we shouldn't go overboard we didn't want to order a thousand born again virgin shirts because you know you <laughs> But we thought it was yeah. funny, so we rolled with it. For uh, we made a bold move for our first shirt. <laughs> Good for you. So you got to do. Yeah. Well, it's well, been great talking yeah. to you, Aaron. <laughs> a lot of fun. Fascinating it's been story great and talking to you guys too. Yeah, you do have a wild story. It's not fair that some people have all the good stories, so they get to write a book. Uh, I'm not really fair, Aaron. <laughs> I mean, I, I always. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it yeah yeah a lot of these childhoods you know if the more uh fervent the the religious uh belief or the extreme maybe they didn't realize that it was extreme but the more likely your kid is going to grow up and and uh, tell that story. Yeah, rebound. <laughs> Gonna write a book. That's what <laughs> memoirs are for. Or start a podcast, or you know, and start a podcast. Plenty of platforms to air your grievances these days. It's true. <laughs> it's true. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. <laughs>